0: Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. Um, It's especially happy in certain areas of the Bronx. uh, And I'll I'll discuss that in a minute, Russ. But uh, we'll start with the pre-show. Go ahead.
1: So, like, history was made yesterday. uh, The Cleveland Indians had their last home game with the logo of the Indians. And so people were taking pictures of it and – sort of like saying, yeah, this is the end of an era and everything else. And it's like, see, now if this were my team, I don't know if I would be taking a picture of it like that anymore, because it's like, well, everybody decided to get rid of it because of what it represented. But now everybody's thinking that they're going to miss it, even though what it represents. Like it's a very confusing time in Cleveland. That's what I would say.
0: Well, Okay, are they going to miss the 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 smiling Indian logo? Um, You know, some people will. I mean, some people some people don't like this change, Ross. I mean, and 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 just because you like the, the the name or the emblem doesn't make you racially insensitive. No, no. but, but, you know, I, I mean, yesterday the Buffalo Bills, Kevin played the Washington football team, and I still hear announcers make the mistake and call them the Redskins.
2: Yeah. Um, Old habits die.
0: Yeah, that's, that, that's no. going probably happened for a few years. And you know what? I actually like the name Washington football team. Me
2: too. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's – But now they're thinking about
1: changing that.
2: I, uh, I, it, to me, it, it feels sort of like, uh, English soccer. Yeah. Right. No, you know. You know um, I like you it would, too,
1: but, but they're talking about changing it.
2: Yeah. Well, you well, we know I,
1: why? Because they can't market it. That's right.
2: why. Well, it's, I, yeah, I, I mean, it, but it's different enough. You think you could market the, uh, uniqueness of yeah. it somehow, right. but, you know, I mean, those guys are pretty clever. I'm sure they could figure something out. Um but i wanted to bring up as well i you know i've talked about this before uh you know being 65 years old and uh, everyone talks about the uh the uh futility of their uh, particular sports teams but you know one playoff win in my lifetime uh and for the lions that's it's really it's yes, really nuts good. it's just nuts um and uh um yesterday um you know they one of the things that everybody talks about in detroit is the lions always find different ways to lose
0: i mean come on
2: and then yesterday you know with the new we've had a new head coach this year in campbell and uh uh there seems to be they're trying to change the culture we've heard it all before um but this time it looked like maybe it was working because game three the defense which had been atrocious and rose up and the offense had come from behind and you know they had a lead with uh uh, less than a minute to go, and then uh, all of a sudden, um, the Baltimore Ravens started to come back. They had a fourth and 19, and the Lions called the timeout. And you could hear uh, everybody in Detroit yelling, "No, no, don't do that!" Because they were they had them on the run, and uh, the other team uh, was struggling. And of course, the Lions called the timeout. Well, the uh, Ravens were out of timeouts, but they used that timeout to change the play. Uh, created a first down, but it still only took them, you know, just inside the 50. So they had to line up for a field goal that would be 66, which would be an NFL record. Now on that play, it's been shown over and over on all the replays. um, That time has expired. There should have actually been a five-yard delay of game, which uh, would have moved the – the team back, and it would have been a 71-yard field goal, which would not they have, been. have attempted it. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't have attempted it because the 66 hit the crossbar and went over for the game-winning field goal. Now, what's interesting to me about that five-yard penalty is, is they had the right uh, people on it. I wish I knew his name because he's a former uh, referee, but he was on the the post-game show. And Boomer uh, Siason was on there and was just complaining about that. was clearly a penalty. And the the, the, uh, cowl ended up uh, uh, talking about that there actually is always a delay between the time because you can't actually see the ball at the same time. So there's always like a one-second delay. But they counted it, and it was beyond what would have been the normal delay that it takes for the referee to see that the ball is still sitting there and the clock has expired. So, you know, they they sort of built that in. Like, they expect that you really get 41 seconds, you know. But this clear was 42. So, anyway, okay, here I we are. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, here we are today, and there's a new way of, for the Lions to lose. I mean, it was a remarkable kick.
1: Yes. Uh,
2: you know, and, uh, you know, they were the victims also on Tom Dempsey's 63-yard. Oh, I didn't realize kick. they
1: were against Dempsey. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And,
2: yeah, so that was the – so they've, they've had some history of losing on – Dramatic uh, kicks to, to uh, I, to be fair. But what a, what a what a game that was.
0: Yeah, I think it might have been Gene Steratore. I think that's the guy who was the uh, the former referee. At least he's a, he's on one of Fox or CBS. So they I know both employ former former referees. But um, and I the funny thing was the Dempsey record I believe was broken by Jason Elam. It and was. everybody and everybody put an asterisk on that one because it was in Denver and it was in the thin air. You yeah. can't put an asterisk on this one. This was it was in a dome, but it, you know that's all what. Um so there was no wind, but 66 yards and apparently, well, yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, and and the kicker had also uh uh beaten the Lions before uh in dramatic fashion on a 61-yard. So okay. he, he had some history, uh you know doing in the Lions, which everybody has history doing in the Lions.
0: <laughs> now, <laughs> now talk about talk about uh disputed calls. And believe me, nothing gives me greater glee. And and Russ knows how pissed off I was listening to the and watching and following the Yankees game because we were talking we were talking during uh the like the seventh inning when uh, and I did Russ, I didn't know how bad it w- actually was because DJ LeMahieu drops a pop up uh, in foul territory, and then Joey Gallo drops a, pl- a pop up that gave the Red Sox the lead wow. in, the, in the eighth inning with Aaron Judge up. Joe West calls uh, it was it was a swing and a miss, but he calls a foul tip, and the catch the catcher had caught the ball, and he was taking the ball out of his glove. And it fell out, and he called that, like you know, like if, if you catch it and it's a foul tip, right. it's out. He was he was just the exchange. It looked like he was throwing it back to the mound or throwing it back to the pitcher, and he dropped it and he called it, you know, foul ball. But you know, not play goes right. on, and it's a judgment call. It's not something that can be reviewed. Uh-huh. And then the next pitch, ju- a judge hits a a two run uh, double off the wall. Off of a former Yankee, Adam Ottavino, and then of course uh, Stanton hits a home run to to ice the game. So, I mean, a lot of you know these these objective calls. I mean, they're
1: you know and that's what and, umpiring is about, though, Mike. I mean, it is objective.
2: Well,
0: yeah, Don Dinkinger.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's always you're going to have the human error in it unless you go to robotics, and I really don't think it. it You know, people mention the fact that it works so well in tennis, but it's a wholly different game. Yeah. You know, it just – it's not going to be the – it works in tennis because we have uh, those kind of things once every, I don't know, 100 hits, you know. Uh, And here we have it almost every pitch. So, you know, where we have some kind of dispute.
0: All right, let's start the show. Um, Hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, September 27th, 2021. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology.
2: Kevin Allen, Hockey Buzz,
0: and I'm Michael Agello and they let me back into Canada. And this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on mm-hmm. HockeyBuzz.com. We got a few things to talk about, and a, uh, to my mind, a controversial top seventy-five uh, of all-time list uh, put out by the Hockey News. But we'll talk about that in the second half. Of I the show. have
1: one good feel-good thing that just hit my email too. So okay, go. You start with that. Okay. Um. So everybody knows when the NHL sign with adidas that you know we all felt pretty good about what adidas does as far as uh making their 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 wares and sneakers and everything else pretty good quality stuff but what i've noticed i would say for the last five years because I, I do buy some adidas uh sneakers and other things is that they started to have a line of sneakers that were um, made out of recycled materials but it took a lot. Like originally, you know, they were like hundred fifty dollar sneakers. So I get why everybody wasn't buying those. But now um they've like ported that over to their regular sneaker line, which is basically for their um memory foam ones, which are fabulous by the way. They're just comfortable as hell. Mm-hmm. And those are made a hundred percent out of recycled bottles. Well now NHL jerseys are gonna be made out of fifty percent recycled materials, the ones that hit mm-hmm. the ice this year. And that's great because again, Part of the issue is with plastic recycling is just because you send it out to recycle, it doesn't mean your city's actually recycling it. Some do, some don't. So the best thing you can do if that's not happening to reduce the waste is to turn it into something else. So whether it's, you know, a, a bench, whether it's a play set, whether it's, you know, you get the idea. So this is great. I, this is something where this is really a home run for Adidas and for the NHL. Uh, simply because it's good for the environment. And then the Rangers named um, a knight for Henrik Lundqvist. Go
0: ahead. Yeah, no, no, I was going to bring that up.
1: Okay, that's fine.
0: Yeah, I was going to bring that up as part of the Rangers stream of consciousness. But, um, Kev, uh, I wanted to start with this and not give it too much attention because it's an ugly incident, but I think, you know, since the IIHF, uh, um, posted it and and cited it and we've seen the video of it and in the age of social media, anything happening anywhere is going to get out. And I, you know I didn't even know there was a Ukrainian league to uh, to be honest, <laughs> okay. but uh, there is. And in the Ukrainian league, a player named Andre Den- Denishkin. Um. Apparently, was in some sort of confrontation with an American player named Jalen Schmreck, and he's uh, African-American. And Denishkin, um, after the play, pretended to peel a banana and eat it. And the IIHF came out and said, this is a direct assault on the ideals and values of our game, and we will ensure that all necessary ethics violation investigations occur to ensure that this behavior is sanctioned appropriately. Now, okay, there have been incidents in the NHL. uh, Back when uh, Wayne Simmons was in Philadelphia, he was playing a uh, preseason game in London, Ontario, and somebody threw a banana on the ice. There was an there was a uh, s- situation with Ty Domi and Donald Brashear back in the day where there was an accusation of a racial epithet being used. So this is not unique to the Ukrainian league or to Europe. Yeah,
2: but uh, and also in Europe, I think we've had more instances of yes. that. It's become a, a thing. I know I've heard of uh, you know at high levels of soccer where uh, you know fan bases would get on opposing players and they would do you know, things of that nature. So it, where it was, you know, wasn't just isolated. It was just... Right. A well, it
1: was, I'm not sure if it was the same game, but um, a, a player I follow, uh, Eliezer Sherbertov, he was a really good prospect at one time coming out of Israel, thought was many years ago, maybe he would have a shot at the NHL. Hasn't, but he was talking about a player from that Ukraine league that he plays in and an anti-Semitic situation. So I kind of wonder if that was like now the same situation and, you know, that's... Again, like Kevin said, to me that's on the rise everywhere. But it definitely is worse in Europe. But it's it's on yeah. the rise everywhere.
0: Well, let's just say this: you can't get away with anything anymore in, in, in this day and age with like games on video. If it's being recorded and you've got the 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 arena mic picking up almost everything. Um, you can't say anything, and this is a good thing. You yeah. can't say any any kind of homophobic comment. You can't make a racial uh, comment. You can't impugn somebody's masculinity. You can't do any of that. And honestly, um, I, and I will talk about this in a minute, I just watched the the five-episode uh, ser- five series uh, on the Leafs called All or Nothing, and, um, yeah, anything that was said on the ice, you know, if, if you want to, if it, it, there were more F words said than the movie Scarface. Uh, so anything that's said on the ice is going to be recorded and be, you know, get out. And so I, I'm happy for that because it's,
1: it's just stupid to say this stuff. It really is. Yeah. It's more than stupid. I mean, it's just, but again, you could tell everybody you're being filmed and everybody whatever but if if there's if you have that in you or there's hate in your heart it doesn't matter that you're right like it's just gonna it's just gonna happen and i think that's what ends up happening is these people they don't care that that gets out like it's just that's what that's what they're feeling that's what they say you can't blame it on their temper because i get mad at a lot of things and i don't say those kinds of things
2: yeah, no, for sure that it has uh, become a problem. But, you know, you did bring up another issue, which I've found uh, really uh, fascinating. You know, as I've grown older, uh, television has become more and more liberal with regard to what they allow. You know, when I watch my Detroit Tigers play baseball, every game now they apologize for their on-field uh, mic that picks up when a guy strikes out. He, he you know, drops an F-bomb. It happens yeah. every game. Yeah. Um, and you hear it and i almost feel like they should just not even apologize because no, they shouldn't yeah i mean here here we go and that's the way
0: i think they, they have, i think they have to because of the SC, fcc yeah, like, yeah, the FCC has the problem actually. yeah if they don't apologize then you know then then uh, they basically no. like, then they could be fined or something like
2: that Which is just, just think how you know far we've uh you know come in terms of uh you know, sex on television and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, when you know Rob and Laura Petrie had to sleep in separate beds on uh, the in the '60s, and you know now we have all kinds of uh, sexual innuendo on television, and uh, you know swearing and on news shows. I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, it was verboten that uh, uh, somebody would say "pissed off" on a news show. Um, but I see many political analysts that use that phrase as if that's totally acceptable now um, as well. So it's a, it's a certainly a changing world, uh, to, to be sure. But under any circumstances, whether the world has changed or not, the level of racism that you guys just described in the video, I haven't seen it. No. I mean, that's just uh, absurd. And uh, I hope they throw the book at them you know, beyond what we normally see in those things. I hope this yeah. is a... Uh, you know, lengthy suspension.
0: Yeah, so so do I. And uh, and ironically, this was the first, um, first uh, bit of news to come out of the IIHF since Rene Fasel has <clears throat> stepped down. Luc Tardif of of France is the new IIHF head, and he's the one who released the uh, the statement. So I think
1: that's a good sign. I mean, I wasn't a big Rene Fasel fan. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Okay, um, switching to your your team. That you, well, uh,
1: hold on. Were you, you mentioned the all or nothing. I wanted to mention something. No, no you, I'm, I'm going to bring you're that up. you still going to do it. Okay. Oh,
0: yes. yeah, yeah. I'm bringing it up in a minute. I wanted to get to the Rangers here because okay. um, I know that there was one thing that uh, that you brought up in a previous conversation that you were not too pleased about. But all, but also, it just um, the Rangers, we know from the moves that they made during the offseason, are clearly focused on being more physical. Um, bringing in Ryan Reeves, bringing in uh, uh, Sammy Blay from from St. Louis, signing Barkley Goudreau. Goudreau in a preseason game against the Islanders got a little frisky and got a five in a game for I think it was a, a high hit. Hit from behind. Hit from behind. Um, you told me you told me about Ryan Reeves apparently trying to show uh off their former first round pick do, do, how how to fight. Teaching him how to fight. Yes, teach them how to fight. So I mean we we have the narrative here of them wanting to be more physical, and all I, I'll say what I said to you last night: I have never seen a team react more towards one incident in my life, other than maybe and I two things: the St. Louis Blues beating up on the Flyers in the early 70s, and Ed Snyder reacting by assembling the Broad Street bullies, and the and the Sabres. Uh, bringing in John Scott after the Ryan Miller-Milan-Lucic incident. Other than that, the Rangers have completely overreacted to the Tom Wilson-Panarin situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I go back to two things. You know, having done two Ranger books, uh, the Dale Rolfe incident was a big one with the Flyers, right? So, and everybody said they didn't react. Now the Rangers have completely overreacted to the point where, yeah, Ryan Reeves is teaching guys how to fight, and they're tweeting about it, and... Their bottom line has Sammy Blay and Ryan Reeves on it. If you want to win hockey games, how many minutes do you think that line is going to play a night? And who are you replacing or taking away ice time from because you have these two guys in the lineup? If you feel like they're going to really help you win a championship, I think you need to go back and, and readjust and relook at what Ryan Reeves does for you. It's a little bit in the regular season. It's practically nothing in the playoffs. And Sammy Blay does a little bit for you but not enough. And to have a line of these guys doesn't make sense in today's hockey. If you want to do it for four games a year when you play Tom Wilson, Mm -hmm. fine, but you've, you've, to me, you've allocated way too much money for a very small problem.
0: And Kevin, I know that, I know that teams in the, in the era of Probert and Joey Koser in Detroit loaded up on big guys, like Sandy McCarthy or (laughs) here, but, you know, this is primarily a skilled team, the Rangers. And now, you know, now they're bringing in size and physicality to counteract a team that they're going to play four times.
2: Well, that's true. Uh, although I, I think Reeves, uh, I don't think we're giving him enough credit for his ability to play. Uh, it'd be interesting. I was trying to call it up quickly, but I'm not fast enough. I wanted to see what he averaged. But I, I, uh, I'm my out. impression for having uh, watched him um you know enough uh during my career is is that he can play a regular shift like you know he can do other things he had
1: five um, points last year
2: no i'm talking about playing time did he play time. <laughs> um,
1: he played it's in 56 seconds
2: yeah that's what i thought i thought he was playing 10 minutes a game that's a little bit different than um you know uh, the normal fourth liner plays 11 minutes uh yeah. 1120 so he's down about a minute so it's a completely different situation than the enforcer days of the 70s and 80s and into the 90s when the tough guys were playing three and four minutes um so i I do think there's that Uh, what i find interesting is uh, I, i saw and read an article um that suggested that we might that we might see tough guys make a comeback based on um you know kind of the arms race mentality of, okay, if Washington's gonna have Wilson and Rangers are gonna have Reeves, if we're here in the Metropolitan, do we need tough guys? And I kind of scoffed at the idea. Now, you know, in training camp here in uh, uh, that uh, Traverse City with the Red Wings, they have a lot of younger players. Lucas Raymond, who's not very big. Uh, Berggren uh, uh, is not gigantic either. And uh, these are very important uh, rookies for the Red Wings and um in the rookie game at the nhl prospects tournament uh two teams came in and tried to rough the red wings up and there was a discussion you know with the coach blashel about whether the uh pre uh or off-season acquisition of luke Witkowski uh was made with the idea that the red wings thought that that might happen that they might people might come after their younger players and he said yes Mm-hmm. So I think there is a thought out there that that we may be dialing up the intensity here, and we have to find a I, way. I
1: agree that there's there's that thought. The Rangers have a bunch of guys now that can do it, not just one. If they just brought in one, right? like if it was just Sammy Blay, I'd say, okay, because Sammy Blay could also get you seven goals. right? I get it. But they overloaded. But also, Kev, now we see Dylan McIlrath in these preseason games, and he's elbowing guys in the head. Right. Can't play hockey. Well, no. And we're talking about. Are we just trying to sell preseason tickets with dirty play? It does seem that way right now. Well,
0: I I think these players see this see getting physical as a way to make a team as a thirteenth forward as or as a seventh defenseman. I mean, yeah, McElrath, We know he's not capable of playing in the league. I mean, Curtis Gabriel, who you know gained more attention in social media than he did in the playing in the NHL last year. He's now with the Leafs. He signed a one year contract. You know, he took a run at a Montreal player and got into a fight. Um, I think he probably thinks that the only way he's going to make the NHL is to be is to be that designated guy.
1: Um now, All these preseason games seem like nineteen seventies hockey now.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah uh, I, w- I wouldn't go that
1: far. No, no, no. <laughs>
2: Did you see the
1: McElrath hit? You need uh, to look at the hit.
2: On it what was, hit?
1: The McIlrath. It was a
2: No, yeah, I actually wrote on it today. Yeah, so.
1: I mean that's. And this
2: year, that's one hit. We used to have three and four a game like that in the 1970s. But, you know, the point I was going to make is um, I I don't think we're going to end up like that, even though, you know, I think the the Red Wings are concerned about their younger players. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there is some talk about in the Metropolitan. I I think this is going to blow over. Uh, I think um, it was important to the Rangers, at least it was important to their ownership, yeah. That they toughen up. And I think it wasn't so much that they didn't have a tough guy. It was that nobody responded, like uh, when Panarin yeah. got you know thrown around. And mm-hmm. what we're seeing here is the uniqueness of Tom Wilson. You know, there aren't many players like no. him.
0: Yeah, he can play. And, He's an idiot, but he can right.
2: play. Yeah, that's exactly right. And now you have a reaction to that from uh, the Rangers. And they went out and tried to get a guy. They, you can't find another Wilson because they don't exist. But right. you can find a guy that perhaps can play a little bit and can, um, you know, deal with Wilson. And that would be Reeves. Um, now,
0: now, with uh, with the Red Wings, and I, I've seen him play in the Amer- American Hockey League with Grand Rapids a couple times uh, they signed Giovanni Smith to an extension, and I thought he's somebody who had the skill level to play in the NHL, and he's got the size. He's a scary dude out there. Oh,
2: yeah, Giovanni yeah. Yeah, Smith, um, they want him to make the uh, team. Okay. Uh, he will make the team because he's out of options, and okay. they're, uh, they're uh, confident uh, that he would not get through waivers because Giovanni right. Smith, in addition to being very, very tough, uh actually has pretty good hands so he can skate too he can skate you yeah, can skate yeah so th- he, he could be a guy that can take a regular shift uh if you read between the lines jeff palashill was kind of went down on a day-by-day basis and he basically said javani smith was okay this day he was you know um, pretty good yeah. this day and if you read between the lines he was saying you know he's got to get a lot more consistent um yeah. uh, you know in order to play uh regularly so uh, but I, I I don't see it, uh, you know, dialing back the clock, although I do think uh, it's a, everybody has that first uh, Ranger Capitals uh, Ooh, meeting yeah. you know, circled on their well, calendar.
1: You, but, Kev, all right, so I'll, I'll say it like this. So now this has definitely affected teams drafting, as we saw with Tyler Boucher and others. This has definitely affected teams signings, as we've seen like the Rangers signing Jared Tenorti, and someone like Sammy Vattenin can't get a job anymore because he is smaller and he's lost a step. Well, that's why he can't step. get
2: it. yeah, he can't get a job is because he lost.
1: Well, step, but again, if you are if a team now is going to choose between a bigger guy who never had a step or a smaller guy who lost a step, they're going to take the bigger guy now, right, for the same money.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, As a depth like,
1: guy—that's what they're
2: yeah, going to do. I mean, Ryan Ellis was—it was part of a major trade. There are lots oh, of—he's still a
1: premium guy. That's not. Yeah, a, but
2: I'm mean, just, just talking saying, about those
1: last additions. Those $750 to a million guy, million dollar guys. Yeah, I mean, they
2: weren't. You know, they were. I think if you can play, you know, you still got. Him. I mean, Troy Stetsch is still on the Red Wings, and mm-hmm. you know, he's a small. Every team's guy. got a
1: but yeah. teams are afraid to have too many smaller guys. Well, they, they, they've back. always
2: been afraid. Even three years ago, when you know they would, you know, you don't want to get too many. I mean, you hear teams saying all the time, "Well, you know, we already got." I mean, the, the Predators said that. You and I had this conversation. The Predators said, "You know, they had too many smaller defensemen." That's right, why which I think wonder. is
1: ridiculous that that the thinking is. They have to be six foot or above, but we shouldn't have them on the team. Well, Russ, I mean. No, yeah.
2: but that that wasn't their position. But you're
1: saying smaller, but I mean, that's what essentially. No,
2: no, no. What they were saying is they had too many of them. Not not that they shouldn't have any, but right. they felt like so they had too many.
1: So If they're good, there's too many of them? Like, how do you determine. Well, don't
2: you think uh, any kind of defense has to have some size?
1: Yeah, sure. But I mean, what's too many? How many did they have at the time?
2: Well, were, they were split down the middle. They were three and three.
1: So three was too many. To me, if you have a smaller guy, bigger guy, smaller guy, bigger guy, smaller, I don't see a problem with that.
2: Yeah. I, well, you know, I don't know what to say about that, but I know. But that's the, what I'm I, I, I think teams are, uh, uh, you know, they feel that way. They feel like, you know, you can have a all couple guys. Is,
1: when I started out in this business, guys were getting drafted simply because of size. Yeah. What happened yeah. For yeah. All through for the sure. 2000s. But this.
0: This argument is the reason why Erica Branson got two million dollars from Calgary. Correct. He's big. He's tough. He's not. He's not particularly fast. He's right-handed. Oh, and in, he, in a way, we
1: have slipped back to that for sure.
0: Yeah. We're, is Dar-
2: no, Dar- no, no. We have is a slipped making you know, a back for us. You know. You, you don't see those. You know, guys that can't play at all. You know, getting drafted like. Um, you know. I mean, we still. I, I think they are taking bigger guys again. I mean, we saw some guys, but, you know, it's not like – there was one year, you know, uh, I can remember where they were just – after about the 20th pick, there were 10 guys in a row. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but there were a lot of guys that were taken So because they were big guys, and I don't see that. I think they're still looking – you're looking for bigger guys that can, you know, skate and do that kind yeah. of thing. But,
0: as, you know, as usual, the NHL is uh, – a um sort of slow in reacting to certain things and over the weekend they issued a release regarding uh, a tighter standard of enforcement on the rules for cross-checking it took them this long after you know the cross check on uh, Kucherov in the playoffs to finally respond to that uh and and uh I don't know if that means that uh if, I don't know if you saw it, Russ. There was a cross check on Pierre luc Dubois in a game against Ottawa, a preseason I it. Game. Um uh Grieg. I think it's Ridley Grieg for or, uh, uh, yeah. For, uh, for Ottawa's, uh, he got a five in a game and he may get suspended. So I don't know how much the crackdown is going to really affect anything. Cross-checking, especially in front of the net, is part and parcel with paying the price. If you're going to go to the front of the net, the defenseman is going to cross-check you on your back until you move.
1: Well, I'm going to say one thing about the Ridley-Greed thing. What's interesting about that is he will get suspended before he gets to play his first NHL game then. Right. Like, he hasn't even played an NHL game. But I'm also going to tell you, I think clubs like when guys do that, and they don't care that they're going to get a suspension. Right. And so I think what the league is doing is fine, but teams are not going to care.
0: Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, I think teams want to make it tough on players to go to the front of the net, to go right. to dirty areas. And if, sure. they have, and if they have to pay a price, meaning they get suspended or they get penalized, they get fined, so much the better. Um, okay, a couple things. Um I watched, I was sent a screener of the Elite the All or Nothing Leaf series uh this weekend. Um, it's going to debut on Amazon Prime in Canada on Friday. And see, Russ, this is the thing. You know, I've watched most of the 24 sevens. Yeah. Um hearing F-bombs from players and coaches and general managers really doesn't phase me anymore. It's like, I grew up in an Italian family. It's like, you know, so hearing the F word is, it, it doesn't really, doesn't really register with me anymore. The only thing I can say is, is that um, the coaching staff and the, the only thing I really learned that I didn't know already and I, okay, I'm a reporter. I'm not a fan. I have more access than most people have, so the stuff that I knew, I knew uh, that I know, are not things that the fans know. So they may learn something and may be beneficial for them to watch it. Right. But what I learned, the only thing I learned was that the coaching staff of the Leafs, even before Game Seven, knew that you know they these players were dealing with pressure and with demons, mm-hmm. and that they, you know, were basically getting them getting in their own way. And that showed in how they crumbled in game seven. So um other than that, it's like, you know, great. The behind the scenes stuff uh, on the injuries to Felino and Bogosian, and uh, especially Tavares. I mean, it was, it was, it was really good to have that sort of inside view, but other than that, it really didn't, didn't really do much for me in terms of like informing me or, you know, it's nice to have the inside look and, you know, you get the Randy Carlisle toaster moments. Yeah. yeah, It
1: really wasn't. I'll, I'll enjoy it. I think an inside look at teams is good. I think sure. what I could do without is like William Nylander's agent saying we don't like him the way he was portrayed. It's like, listen, it, you, I mean, again, if people, I would hope, That his agent would understand that by having this series, it helps the game. It shows the players. Whether the players are showing themselves in a good light or not, that's on the player. What? You should be able to edit that out. Are you telling me that every player doesn't arrange
0: for half a dozen race cars to be raced by his teammates at a track in Toronto
1: right before the
0: playoffs? Oh, come on. Okay, but again,
1: so here's my thing about that. The agent – listen – after the fact, trying to basically, and like maybe that was what annoyed him, saying that should have been edited out makes it look worse. Listen, it's on the player. If this is what the player did, he knew what was going on, he knew the kind of access that was going on, and he had no problem doing it. So, you know what? You got to just deal with it after, right, Kev? I mean, that's it.
2: Well, what I first of all, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, what so what was what was uh, hey, what I, did the, I want
0: I watched, I watched most – I watched like 95% of the, of the series. I fast-forwarded some of the game stuff. Um, the only thing I saw that I thought could be criticized on the part of Neilander, like I said, is right before the playoffs, he apparently arranged for himself and a bunch of teammates to go to a, 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 tr- a racetrack around Toronto apparently. He had a bunch of sports cars and like five or six players – went, went around the, uh, went around the track where, you know, going probably a hundred miles an hour or more. Um, other than that, it was like, it was on the ice stuff. And, and he, you know, he was, he was dressed in his finest fashions. You know, he's sort of like him and Matthews are, are sort of fashionistas and he's got the colored sunglasses and this and that, but, you know, there's nothing, again, but there's nothing there from William Mielander that I hadn't known before. I mean, he's he's the son of an NHL player, an NHL player who made a lot of money. I think he's, you know, he's sort of entitled. He's a very good hockey player. The problem mm-hmm. that we fans have is that the fact that he shows up maybe 12, 15 games a year, and the other uh, 70, he's okay, just an okay player where he's got mm-hmm. a lot of
2: talent. Yeah, no, that sounds sounds interesting. I'd uh with regard to what Russ said, I agree with Russ, you know, like for the agent to come in and try to get that out makes it seem more ridiculous. Well,
0: I mean, just one factor here. And I know this because of the negotiations during when he was holding out part of the agency that represents him is his dad. Michael Nealander, is part of the, of that agency. So I'm sure that, you know, maybe his dad didn't like the way he was being represented and that got Funnel
2: through through the yeah, i guess that one that brings up the idea and i wondered you know like isn't it the modern approach to uh, has, has it been a race that we think that you can't um do other things and concentrate on trying to win a championship at the same time uh, mm-hmm. you know like uh, you know yeah. should, should you not be able to play golf during the playoffs uh you know, I you personally
1: don't have a problem with it. I just have a problem with the agent trying to block yeah. us seeing
2: it. Well, yeah, I, yeah, for sure.
1: Well,
0: remember remember how much criticism the uh, – uh, I mean, I know the Leafs got some criticism on, about taking a boat trip in Florida in between games between Tampa and Florida. The, the New York Giants got criticism for going on a boat trip before their playoff game. I mean, i you know what? that criticism only comes out after you lose if you win that's something that they say oh that was ice breaking that took the pressure off that was a good thing and if and if they lose right. there you go they didn't they weren't they weren't paying their dues they weren't concentrating they were too busy you know trying to catch fish in the gulf of mexico instead of trying to win a game
2: yeah, no, right. The way it goes, but you would you would think in the kind of the modern world we live in that people understand that that you can compartmentalize things. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean you don't want to win just because you want to get in a race car. The right you know, the playoffs. So, but
0: but I would okay. I I'll say this on the par, uh, on You know, I can uh, on the for for the for the Leaf fans out there who are curious about watching this, I'd pass because. If all you want is the remind the the remain a reminder of pa- of a painful uh, loss, you know the the inside stuff is cool. You know, great. They they, they they're they're coffee snobs. They you know they like uh, 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 Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall are chipping uh, golf balls and whatever. I mean, it's fine. But honestly, I don't. You know that you know the end result. You know how painful it was. Why why put yourself through it? But anyway, um, one other one one other thing here. I just saw this note just before Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News just retweeted this, and I hope it's an indicator of where the NHL and Major League Baseball go. Uh, Andrew Marchand, I think of the New York Post, uh, said that uh, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, is making it clear that he, to the teams in the league that he wants broadcasters on the road and not working remotely. And that you know, hopefully the other leagues, and I know the NHL always takes a cue from the NBA, will will do otherwise. I have to bring this up because I was telling Russ about this. In li- I, I, during the weekend, I was doing some some things and listening to the Yankees Red Sox game. You listening to the radio broadcast, and we know you know John Sterling is in his eighties and his sight isn't the greatest, but. He's doing the game remotely. Normally, he would be at Fenway and he could see the home runs or see, you know, he was completely dependent on two screens in the broadcast booth at Yankee Stadium to broadcast the game. And Kevin, give me a dollar for every time he got something wrong in terms of, oh, strike three. Wait a second. They called that a ball? Like that. It was like that. It was like, it was stuff that normally you know, 99 times out of a hundred, he would get right, but he was completely dependent on the TV broadcast. And I know that, you know, there are younger broadcasters out there, but in listening to radio broadcasts of, of hockey games last year, you could tell the difference between somebody who was doing it remotely and somebody who was doing it in the arena.
2: Yeah, I agree. And with basketball too, we're just so used to, you know, the broadcasters are courtside there and you can feel that, um, uh, so that's, I think, you know, why Silver uh, wants to make sure he does that. Where the hockey, you know, they're not exactly on the ice, um, but uh, but still, you you want them there because they get a sense for the crowd and the momentum and all that you just can't get it if you're watching it off monitor. So you know, it's it's better for sure for broadcasters. Although, you know, Mike Emmerich did an incredible job his last.
1: Oh yeah. Year.
2: Um, but but you're talking about
1: the best in the business. That's yeah, the business.
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's you still can't argue that it it's better remotely. It's better yeah. when you're there. So yeah. and um, and
0: and the one thing I picked up on when Emmerich was doing it remotely was the fact that he was patient enough to like when the goal was scored, he waited like a second. Yeah. Right. He going He 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 didn't assume because then by assuming you can you open yourself up to more mistakes. Sterling, right. the only time he hit something right uh, in the three game series at Fenway was when the camera panned up to the stratosphere when Stanton hit the home runs because he knew the ball was out of the park. But right. the one time, the one time the camera panned up for a long fly ball and he goes, "It is high. It is far. It is caught." And I'm like, "Oh my God." You know, so, you
2: know, yeah. Although that's a, that's a kind of a normal baseball call. It's long, it's deep. It yeah, that coming. that is normal. Yeah, yeah, you hear that quite a bit. It's actually something I appreciate that you know, because it looks pretty good off the bat, and then mm-hmm. you know, just kind of the negative result that's that true. you can hear that's the disappointment. Point. Yeah, it, I it's. it's, it's a t-
0: it's tantalizing and it's annoying when you like, oh, it's a home run and it's, it's caught. I mean, okay. yeah, should we talk about the RFAs that are just hanging out there? Yeah, no, no, I was that was the, the next Good. thing I was going to bring up, Russ. Okay, is, cool. Um, you know, it must, be, it must be nice to be in Michigan, Kev, because all the other yeah,
2: here, yeah, are all there. <laughs> yeah, we just ran a picture in Detroit Hockey Now of, of the Quinn and uh, Pedersen at the Michigan game, so.
0: Yeah, and and Brady kachuk is there as well and it, it doesn't seem even though even though we heard Jim Benning come out uh, I think on Friday and say oh we're really close it's really close well okay you're a week into training camp usually it's it's solved within a day or two you're a week into training camp and kachuk is not signed with Ottawa and these and the two Vancouver players are not signed either and i I don't know you know we're waiting
2: well. And here I sit in a state where Steve Eisenman, who's not opposed to offer sheets, as, uh, uh, as I've been told, um, sitting there with $15 million um, in cap space. And he could
1: really blow up a team, couldn't he?
2: He could. He really could if he wanted to do that. And they need, they could use the center. I mean, uh,
1: yeah.
2: uh, you know, Pius Suter can play wing or center. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: And he's he's the right nationality. If you you know the sweet the Swedes in the you know the Swedes in in Detroit. yeah, that's always yeah. He'd be the guy they go after for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No.
2: For sure. Yeah. That's uh, otto otto. Although, although they would love Kachuk too. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh. You know. Then they'd have a second guy with a little edge to him. Uh,
1: but otto has got the cap space. I mean, the only yeah. thing is, you're going to give up the same amount of picks. For Kachuk or for Pedersen, and you might as well go for Pedersen at that point.
2: Well, yeah, although the question is um, if, we, if you just went $10 million for him, you wouldn't be at the four first round picks. And it would still put a tremendous hurt on because they would have to move some bodies then to afford Quinn. Right. Um, if they matched. So, you know, I mean, I think they would match, but. Uh, you know, that, that's the problem though. Uh, you know, the, the, for them to, to, to go after him and make it such a difficulty for them to match, um, I think it would be, you know, they'd have to give up the four first round picks. They're just not going to do that. No, no, there's just no way. Not, not, not in the rebuild. So
0: especially in the place that they're in right now, no. I mean, even if they add Pedersen, are they a playoff team in that division? No. Not so. You're probably giving up, you know, picks in the teens at least. And you know, if they have a bad year or if Pedersen gets hurt, then you're talking. You could be talking about top ten or top five picks. So,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the story that I had heard was is that he, uh, being Eisenman, had a meeting with his his cabinet, and uh, someone had suggested this was back when um, Marner was available. Should they uh, tender an offer sheet to Marner? And his question back to them was um well will it make us a stanley cup contending team and everybody said well no he says well then why would we do it Um, right so i think he would say the same thing here they're not close enough that one player is not going to turn them into a contender
1: so but what does it look like to let's say the senators market they they've struggled for attendance they said they were going to spend more money they said they were close to signing Kachuk, and so far, none of these things have happened. And so you do kind of wonder, and I just got an email saying that um, of all the teams in the league, and this is from a place called, um, they you know, they, I, they do all kinds of studies, Senti uh, Strength, uh, they basically said that the Senators fans are the most fair-weather fans in the league. And I don't think that's based on all these analytics, I think it's based on what ownership has turned it into for these fans to kind of root for this team, Kev. I mean, what are you yeah. supposed to believe in?
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, and you know, you and I agree that we think the senators are gonna be good in the yeah. long They they'll got be some better. nice parts, so um
0: they'll be better, but right, but right now,
2: yeah.
0: uh, as 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 happened in Detroit uh, on Sunday where uh, they had a retirement ceremony for Calvin Johnson and the owner gets booed at halftime yeah uh, if eugene melnick went out to center ice with a and obviously there's not going to be a full building in ottawa cuz they they don't fill that the
1: yeah.
0: um unless lee fans or there or habs fans eugene melnick would get lustily booed he and, and deservedly so because you know he isn't he hasn't invested in paying like you know kachuk is a perfect example i mean Pay hey, the guy. He's your future captain. He's your linchpin. He's your cornerstone. And they're not doing it.
2: Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. And the, with the Lions situation is to me kind of sad that, you know, like the fan base, certainly they have every right to boo because of what's going on here. But, um, you know, you could make an impact if you were a fan by not, um, and I am a season ticket holder, so I could do the same thing. You, you could vo- you could put in your vote by not going to games, um, right. and they never do that. Instead, they just go out and embarrass uh, uh, a woman who is part of the family, but has only been involved for a short period of time. Right, that doesn't game. do anything for anybody. Yeah, it didn't do anything, and I'm sure it embarrassed her, and it was, you know, it was just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, You know, like, Very you cool. couldn't hear uh, the... Uh, From what I've read on social media, what uh, Calvin Johnson had to say because people were booing. And, you know, when you do those kind of things, it's just – and then, you know, guys uh, high-five each other and you think you're doing something and you're really doing nothing.
1: By the way, another note about Ottawa. I know you probably talked about it the other day, but since I wasn't on, I really think that that was a mistake for them to to make that Logan Brown, Zach Zanford trade. I do because I know that they do need some veterans on – on ottawa to play with the young players but i don't want to give up a guy who does have size and some scoring ability to do it i think that that was the wrong guy to sort of deal but again they haven't utilized him and and i've heard from a few people that they feel like his skating is good enough now and that he can start to you know become an NHLer. and it's like he's only 23
0: yeah. And and uh, in return, Ottawa gets a player who's a UFA at the end of the year. So he's an expiring right. contract. So I mean yeah, if-
2: they would just basically gave him away. I didn't understand yeah. that either. And no, it is curious, Russ. I'd like to get your take on this since you're both a baseball and the hockey guy. It's so funny to me that totally acceptable, expected for young players to arrive in the major leagues in baseball at twenty-five, but twenty-three now people are starting to look like that's okay. You didn't make it. Right.
1: You know? So yeah, it's weird. I I mean, again, I could just go back to like Pete Alonzo who arrived at like, I don't know, 26. Yeah. Uh, to Brom, 27. Aaron judge is 26 or 27. Yeah, Baseball judge play in double a cab, right? Years ago, I did yeah. a book signing at, with the Binghamton Mets and they happen to be playing the Staten Island Yankees. And, here's this massive guy in the field, Aaron Judge, and I'm like, all right, I'll be interested to watch him. He couldn't hit anything. He was the worst hitter I've seen to date at that level, and then a year and a half later, he was hitting everything.
0: Yeah, he Uh had – He does just click. He had a a strike zone that you could drive a Mack
1: truck through. He 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 had no pitch identification. He couldn't do it.
2: And Yeah, and yeah. Now – With pitchers, though, you know, I can see that because, you know, the art of pitching and – you know, you see like I remember Frank Tanana went from a fireballer to a uh, a guy that would nibble at the corners. He was like Maddox and yes. Quail Yard yeah. and everything else. And so you can as a pitcher kind of find your game late.
0: Yeah, um, you
2: know, I mean I mean hit, hit her, so
0: I mean so. he had to because he blew out his arm, but yeah, he was able to adapt
1: later in his career. Mm-hmm. And he was yeah, he was, that's right. I, I oh, get that the Sens have a lot of prospects. I do. And I had asked people about Logan Brown for the last year or two. so maybe it's something with the coach, maybe the coach just doesn't think he's gonna be good
2: yeah no, or or maybe you know sometimes guys don't have it w- yeah. whatever it is you sometimes know sometimes that's true yeah you just you know you just have to wait and see i you know I've said this before just recently I was just talking about it I'm always amused that everybody always thinks that you know once we get him into our system, he'll be better you know yeah yeah, we, yeah. We, we know what we're doing, you know so.
0: I'm going to say, I'm going to save the top 75 list to Wednesday because I want to devote some time to it. But uh, the the one thing I did see that was interesting, we'll end on this. Um, There is talk. Now, obviously, with the the league getting back to an 82 game schedule and crossing the borders and everything else, everything is in terms of transactions, apparently, is going to get back to normal. Although there is talk, there isn't going to be a taxi squad this year, but there is talk about a taxi squad for goalies for an extra goaltender. Pierre Dorian apparently uh, uh, let that slip uh, to some of the Ottawa media in the last couple of days, and if you think about it, Kev, the the, the story and I, I, oh um, Anton Forsberg, he was on four teams last year because whenever a goalie got put on on, on waivers, the other team was in danger because they needed a goalie, so they, they he I think he, they claimed him, and he went from like Carolina to Chicago to. This place to Ottawa in in I think like a month. The guy had stamps on his suitcase. So it, with that reality, they, they may have to have a a, 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 um, a taxi squad
2: for goalies. Yeah, that makes sense actually. So
1: well, why? What are they going to decide on that?
2: I, I before the before the regular season, I, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you who's got to be anxious about it. If it's already known, is the American League? Because boy, that yeah. changes everything for them. So.
1: It changes everything for them, but also even even for the players, even for the teams. Again, like last year, it was tough because you built your roster a certain way, and then all of a sudden you have this taxi squad, and it does change the dynamic. This year, they figured there was no taxi squad, so there were teams that did get rid of some other depth in their goaltending system because they figured they can't use them. Now, if it's all of a sudden becoming a thing where you need one again, that is going to change the dynamic for certain teams because – You know, I'll give you one like the Flyers. They don't have necessarily a third one that they can call up anymore. If they knew there was going to be a taxi squad, would they have signed Alex Lyon? Yeah, they probably would have.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, uh, good show, guys. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast for Kevin Allen, for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Ligiello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.